welcome to Raffi's Roundup. I'm, of course, your host, Raffi. And on this podcast, I talk about whatever it is I want to talk about this week. Um, today, we're going to be finishing up my uh, my DC republishing pitch that I've been doing the last couple weeks. Uh, they will talk a little bit about Sam and Bucky, because uh, what is it? we're on episode four now at the time of this recording. And it's uh, about all I got. I mean, I got some, some exciting news. Um, I also got some stressful news that's more personal. Uh, my car is at the shop right now, and I feel like... Okay, so, like, my car's at the shop right now. It, it, the steering wheel shakes when I go at, like, 40. Um, and it's frustrating to me. Like, it, it's, I, I, that's, like, the, of all, like, the, the real-world adult issues I've come across... For whatever reason, car troubles are the ones that always, like, piss me off the most. Because there was a long period of my life where it felt like once a month I was taking my car to, um, to the shop. And, uh, you know, since then I've gone through a couple different cars. Now it's, like, self, uh, what is it, self-fulfilling, uh, prophecy? Where it's, like, a long stretch of time will pass. Like, I won't have car troubles for, like, three or four months, and then something will happen, and then I'll be, like, over it immediately. I'll roll my eyes and be like, oh, this stuff again. Like, it it got to a point where, no matter how far out both of the visits to the shop are to, like, look at my car and stuff, it, it feels like it's closer. It's like, it's like something goes wrong with my car, I take it to the shop, it gets fixed. Like, I don't know, 80 days pass... Something happens that's completely different to my car that I have to get fixed, and immediately I'm back there, and it's like no time has passed. Like, that's just how it feels. Um, but yeah, that's weighing on my mind. Um, I don't know, other than that, things are, you know, going pretty well. Um, I have a, you know, the wedding is coming up in under 90 days. There's some sort of pre-wedding events that are coming up that I'm very excited for. Uh, let's see, what else, what else? I've noticed a lot of people I know, and by a lot of, I mean, like, two or three people, um, are really, are managing to, like, get their own places. Like, uh, my friend Connor is moving into a place with his girlfriend. Um, my friend David recently moved to a place with his girlfriend. And then, um... Since I know they're listening, I'm very excited for my friends Jamie and Paul, who got their own place as well. Um, so yeah, super good news all around. I'm, I'm very excited about that stuff. Um, it's going to be nice when I get my own. I mean, <laughs> of course I have my own place, but it's going to be nice when I have a bigger place. Um, I want to have like kind of just like a recording space that I can also use for like tabletop stuff. Like basically, basically a, a corner that I can have. <laughs> Um, cause like, you know, the apartment we have is like, it's, it's nice. I like living here, but, uh, it's like one, two, three rooms, I guess four if you count the bathroom, um, five if you count the closet, but I don't go in there that often. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's next. After this whole wedding thing, there's, I want there to be a good stretch of time where we're not working on anything. Um, but that's definitely the next like project after the wedding, but, like, I don't know, I, I hate thinking ahead too far, because that's, 
like in in my relationship, that's that's Macy's corner. She's the one that thinks far ahead, and I'm the one who has to kind of like plant my feet in the ground and look at look at what's going on currently. So, yeah, you know, cause some good stuff, some bad stuff. Um, on the other good side of things, and this gets more into you know the discussion of comic books and stuff. Um, I've made it no, I've made it no secret that I'm pretty pissed off that uh, what is it? Warner Brothers and DC had to destroy their DC Universe app, um, which, you know, is a streaming service. They put comics on there and stuff. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, I finally got HBO Max. Um, <laughs> I got it through my dad, who has an account. Uh, shout out to you, Dad. Uh, I don't know how long he had it, but I guess I just never complained to him before because he just gave me the information recently. Um, but that's super good. Uh, I, I just want to put this out into the ether right now. I have no plans of watching... Uh, the Snyder Cut, nothing has changed on that front. Bennett has watched it, and he says it's better, but he also said it's four hours. And last I checked, like, four hours for a Zack Snyder Justice League movie sounds like the anti-life equation. It sounds like I'd watch that and I'd have no reason to live. Um, so I'm not going to do that. It's It's also like... If you went to see Justice League, the Joss Whedon version, and it's like two hours, and you're like me, and like you watch it, and you're like, oh, that was a bad movie, like, that doesn't give me motivation, <laughs> that doesn't give me motivation to watch a longer cut of it by, the by like, one of the guys that is kind of behind it. It's like, I don't know, if, if I go to get, like, like, I don't know, I mean, I'm trying to think of a, a good example... I guess if I have a slice of cake, and it's not good, but I finish it, and it's over, I'm not gonna, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna take the offer of, like, hey, do you wanna watch this guy bake, the guy that made you that cupcake, or whatever, I'm changing the, I'm changing the narrative, it's a cupcake now, the guy that made you that cupcake, he's gonna bake, and then, like, like, four cakes, and then you can sit down and watch him bake them, and then you can eat those cakes. Like, if I didn't like the cupcake, why do you think I wanna eat the whole cake? I don't know. That's probably a stupid example, but like, I don't know. I feel like my brain is like, <laughs> my brain is like that person who has good ideas, and then when they're put on the spot, they have nothing to say. Or like, a person who's really good at singing, but then when they're on stage, they get stage fright, and then they can't sing. That's how I feel like my brain operates. Um... I got HBO Max. That's the important part. I've been using it to um, catch up on... So, uh, I don't know if I've made this clear on podcasts. I, I really like Ben 10, the uh, the Cartoon Network show. Um, I've seen... I've seen like There's like four... I guess five if you count the reboot. There's four shows in the original Ben 10 like continuity or whatever. Um, and while I'm aware of most of all that stuff... Uh, I haven't watched the fourth, the most recent one, which I think was like in 2013 or something. No, it had to be later than that. It had to be like 2016, maybe. Um, but I haven't watched uh, Omniverse, so I'm, I'm going to watch that on HBO Max. Uh, I know they have a lot of Looney Tunes stuff, which I'm kind of interested in watching. Macy said that she'd watch uh, Space Jam 2 with me, so maybe we'll watch the first one. Um, 
what else is on there? Oh, obviously DC stuff. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> so, my Young Justice show, Harley Quinn, um, Teen Titans is on there. A, bunch, a lot of the like recent DC anime movies have made it on there too, which is good. Um, I don't have any intention of watching some of them, but like Gotham by Gaslight. Um, what else came out recently for like, DC anime movies? There's other stuff. I just can't think of a good example. That new, I don't think the new Superman is on there yet, though. That's too bad. Um, but yeah. I got HBO Max. That's fun. I've been, I've been bitching and moaning to get that for a while. Unfortunately, Wonder Woman 1984 isn't on there. Because I guess they were just doing like a, here, it's, day, it's there for a day. Uh, there for a day. Um, but, I mean, you know, Suicide Squad's going to be on there. I know that John Cena's getting his own Peacemaker show on there. Um... Plenty of other stuff that I'm just blanking on. The Friends reunion's gonna be on there for some reason. Um, I don't know, is Friends like a Warner property? Doesn't matter. Um, oh, Kong and Godzilla are on there. I don't know if I'm gonna watch that. I haven't watched, I haven't watched the new King Kong. I haven't watched the recent Godzilla movies, but... I don't know, I might watch the, the fight. J just to watch the fight, I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> So there's that. Uh, again, Sam and Bucky. I won't get too much into it because I got other stuff I want to talk about. But uh, episode four, really good. I really like seeing the. Oh God, I'm gonna butcher. I'm gonna butcher this name, but I'm gonna try. The Dorje Melage. Dor Melage. I think that's what they're called. The um, the all female Wakandan like bodyguard team. Uh, they show up and they kick ass. They kick so much ass. They're so cool. Um, and, and, like, they're, they're presented so well, too. Like, ugh. So, I'm so glad we're getting some, some Black Panther stuff in this. Um, let's see, what else, what else? Um, Zemo, still really good. Um, I really like that Zemo is, like, he's not, like, a one-and-done kind of character. He, they're keeping him around, and he's, like, he has a very interesting perspective that's fun to bounce off of other characters. Like, it's fun seeing him, uh like, banter with Bucky and Sam. I like that a lot. Um, you get to know a little bit more about Carly, who is, uh, the main Flag Smasher girl. Um, and then there's kind of just the obvious stuff with John Walker. Um, that whole thing where he gets the thing and does the thing, uh, because a thing happens to his thing. Damn. <laughs> that, oh, that is a... That ending is going to go down as probably, like, one of the biggest, like, probably, like, the the standout moment of the entire show. Again, it's not done. We have two episodes left. But, like, damn if that's not a hook to get you to watch the rest of the show. Um, I really feel like they should have done something like this earlier. Not to this degree, but, like, something that John Walker can do in episode one or two that really makes him stand out. I mean, he was in episode two, and he fought in episode two. But, um... Just something a little bit more, like, drastic that helps him stand out, I think would have really hooked people more into the show. Um, but, I mean, as it stands, it's still a pretty well-regarded show. So, yeah, same with Bucky. I've been enjoying that. Oh, man, two more episodes. What do we get after that? I guess we get the Black Widow movie, which I'm going to have to watch, like, a week after, because <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but Black Widow comes out the day before I'm getting married, so I kind of have to wait to see that. Um, but after that, I think... 
Ooh, I kind of want to look up when Loki comes out, but I'm not going to. Probably not too far out from then. Oh, you know what it is? We're going to get Black Widow. We're going to get, I think, that new Star Wars show. I, I think it's an animated one. And then we're going to get Loki. So, I'm probably not going to watch the Star Wars thing. I like the Mandalorian, but, like, I, I don't have nostalgia for Clone Wars. So, this show, which is clearly a Clone Wars thing, I'm not really into. Um... I watch the Boba, the Boba Fett thing whenever that comes out. I watch the Obi Wan thing. Obi Wan's getting the show. That's gonna be that's gonna be sweet. <sighs> oh man. Okay, we can probably get into the topic now. Um, so yeah, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about if I was, you know, if I was, if I was Danny Phantom, right, and I could I could go ghost and I could possess bodies and I possess the bodies of like a DC Comics editor. Or, like, the king of DC. Or Mr. Warner Brother himself. Um, and I could basically republish a bunch of DC books uh, with, like, a common through line and stuff. Um, I've been saying what I, what I would do. Um, Firestorm is kind of a villain now. The Justice League has, like, a uh, future-proof program where they're taking, like, Titans characters and turning them into the new Justice League. Um... Batman, as well as all of Batman's villains, have spread their, like, allies across America. So, like, I don't know, Tim Drake is in Texas or something. Um, oh, what was another big one? Uh, oh, Supergirl is regrowing Krypton on planet Mars with, with Martian Manhunter. Like, just ideas like that. And I've been, I've been having a lot of fun thinking about, you know, what potential stories could be told with these DC characters. This was very, like cathartic because i love dc but it's like it's hard to love it when and i'm not even talking about comics because i'm not currently reading any dc comics but like it's kind of hard to defend them when it's like you know in the comics it's like just kind of terrible event after terrible event or you know in the animated movies it's terrible event after but even in the main movies it's all bullshit and garbage and you know other than shazam really who's who's putting in the work here um that's what I mean. Like, I, I love DC, and it's easier to pitch DC ideas because everything they're doing now just isn't really working. So, and again, this is just me talking comics, you know, and I enjoy doing that. Um, so, to finish up, I have five miniseries to sort of tail end this big pitch. I think I called it Equal Force. Yeah, Equal Force, this uh, relaunch pitch. But yeah, five miniseries, creators on each of them. Talk a little bit about them. Uh, first is a team one. I know I did some team ones in uh, the last episode, but I swear this is the last team one. Um, I think. Eh, kind of. Depends on your on your perception of a team book. Um, the first one's kind of a weird, obscure one. I feel like this would be... I feel like this next to... I don't know. Maybe, no, this might be the lowest selling book. I don't know. It depends. Um, but I feel like this would be on the lower spectrum of who's picking it up. But uh, Rip Hunter and the Linear League... Uh, which I would have written by Jeff Lemire. Jeff Lemire did an amazing Green Arrow run uh, at the beginning of New 52. Jeff Lemire also did a great... Uh, I think he was on Hawkeye? No, I don't think he was on Hawkeye. I know Matt Fraction was. I don't think... Le no, Lemire might have been on Hawkeye. I'm not confident in that. But um, Jeff Lemire is a terrific writer. He's done some Suicide Squad. He's done some Green Arrow. Um, he did a book called The Terrifics, which was really good. Um, just a great creator all around. Um, 
but yeah, this is a the linear league isn't really a thing. There is a group called the Linear Men, which Rip Hunter is a member of. Um, so I kind of just combined Linear League with or Linear Men with like a Justice League concept. Um, Rip Hunter is the DC Universe's most like prolific time traveler. He's essentially like a time guardian or a time cop. He finds and apprehends people that misuse time travel. Um, he works for a very mysterious group of, like, Time Lords. I think they're Time Masters, because Time Lord is, like, trademarked or something. Um, there's a lot of Rip Hunter stuff in that show Legends of Tomorrow. So, you know, I don't know too much about Rip Hunter's backstory and stuff. Or, I guess, his his world, like, his lore. Um, but Legends of Tomorrow is probably a good place to go to, um, to research that stuff. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Rip Hunter is also, like, along with being a time traveler, he's Booster Gold's future son. So, of course, I had to use him because Booster Gold is the best. Um, fact. <laughs> so, the, the the actual story I'm calling Event Collision, the basic idea is that you would get this villain. And there's a multiple there's multiple time traveling villains in the DC Universe. Personally, I really like Lord Kronos, who's a old school Adam villain. Um, who has a device that allows him to time travel. Um, maybe it's him and, like, a group of other like-minded time-traveling villains. Basically, they're going back in time trying to alter the events of actual DC Comics events. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a couple that, like, you know, could stand out here and there. Um, I like the idea of maybe, like, oh, excuse me. I like the idea of, like, maybe Lord Kronos is using time travel in, like, a selfish way, like, to aid him personally. Because no one's... Okay. No one's doing anything with Lord Kronos, so, like, is it even Lord, or is it just Kronos? Hold on. I'm curious. DC... Kronos. Okay, yeah, it's just Kronos. Um, he's a cool villain. I think he's been in one of the shows, actually. Um, his costume's ridiculous. He looks freaking weird with his green outfit and his white clock face. He's a funny villain. Look him up. Um, but, like, Just League Animated, uh, what is it? Just League Unlimited, the animated show, did a fun, uh, Chrono story. And they made it more about, like, like, him connecting to humanity in a weird way. Like, he makes himself, like, the overlord of the world by using time travel. Um... And he does it all basically to impress his wife, who has no respect for him. So, I like the idea of having a character like Kronos use time travel in a more personal gain sort of way. Like, because if you have time travel, like, why not abuse it? I guess, you know, the actual question isn't why not. The real question is, like, you shouldn't be surprised if someone uses time travel to benefit themselves. Um, they actually changed how he looks in the show. He's like metal armor. I don't like that. Make him look like a goofball. No one's gonna care. Um, but, like, for example, I don't know, let's see Lord Cronus goes back in time to the death of Superman. And he rents an apartment, or like a, um, like a flat or something, in Metropolis, knowing that Doomsday, you know, the big gray Hulk monster, is gonna, like, destroy that building. And he's like, I'll take out insurance on this building, and then when I get to the present day, I'll be stinky, like, filthy, stinking rich. You know? And Rip Hunter's, you know, gonna show up and stop him, and so the first issue is, like, 
the first issue is like during the death of Superman, and you can even kind of make it look like it's the '90s and stuff. Um, and Rip Hunter stops him, but basically, like each issue would take us to a different point in in DC's history, like a different kind of event. Um, there was a point in time where Gotham was landlocked, like all the bridges were broken, and the U.S. government <laughs> saw that Gotham was in such ruin because like there was earthquakes that happened, riots happened, um, it became a no man's land, and the U.S. government was like, we are detaching Gotham from us. Gotham is officially not part of the U.S., uh, like, the U.S. Like, no longer is Gotham part of it. Um, it was a huge thing. Gotham was, like, just an island of crime for a, for a while. So, you know, there could be an issue where Kronos goes there and, like, I don't know, maybe rallies a group of criminals or... Ooh, or, like... He, he shows up ahead of time with, like, a boat or some shit. <laughs> and he's like, hey, if you want to get out of Gotham, you know, before the riots break out and it becomes, like, a crime island, uh, I can give you ferry riots off the boat. You just gotta, like, give me money or whatever. Like, small stuff. He's not gonna go back in time and steal, like, the, the um, like, a golden chalice or something. Like, he's gonna go back in time make some money, and then kind of sit on that and expand from there, like, because he's not an idiot, he, he has time travel, you know, um, but basically, Kronos would try to do all these, like, the first two issues would have Lord Kronos try to do all these schemes where he's using events in DC history to make a, to make a little bit of money, and the idea is that while he's doing this, thinking, okay, I'm gonna get rich off of this event, or I'm gonna get rich off of this event, like, Knowing what happens in time will help me prepare for it and then exploit people that don't know it's going to happen. While he's doing that, he's also making these horrible, like, almost like wounds or scars in time, which are, like, manifesting as monsters that go and corrupt other pieces of time. So it's like, along with the mundane, like, because <laughs> if you're a time traveler, it's like, okay, we have the mundane issue of this guy who's robbing banks before they open, because he can use time travel. But the real issue is that every time he, do he does this, he actually unleashes a cosmic horror upon time itself, and that's, like, the big issue. Um, and so I like the idea that, like, as Kronos is sort of doing these things and creating these ripples in time, he's, like, accidentally drawing in people from different versions of the future. Um, and so Rip Hunter sort of builds a linear league, like a team of people who all come from different futures... Because it's like, <laughs> he he's probably worried that if he takes someone from the past and they die. No, actually no, because time doesn't really matter in that way. Because like someone from the future is from the future to us, but from the past to someone in their future. Whatever. Basically, I wanted to make a Justice League book of characters who are from different points in time. And so that I could also represent a couple of different stories and teams that I liked that I couldn't use... Uh, throughout the rest of this pitch. So, Rip Hunter ends up getting the help of, uh, let's see, uh, Terry McGinnis, who's Batman Beyond. And, like, he can have the armor, maybe it shorts out for an issue or two, so you get to just have him be a dude. But, like, you know, if it's Batman Beyond, you want to see that costume. So he gets Batman Beyond. He gets Saturn Girl, who's a member of the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, she has a flight ring, so she can fly... 
but she also has uh, psychic powers. She can read minds, she can use uh, mind control and stuff. I don't think she has telekinesis. Hold on, I'm gonna look that up real quick, like, because that's kind of important. Saturn girl. Because I, I don't mind if she's just like a psychic character, but I just want to make sure. It'd be cool if she did. Uh, telepathy. Okay, yeah, it's just it's just uh, telepathy powers, which is fine. Um, so she's like the team's resident psychic or whatever. And again, she's a member of the Legion of Superheroes. There's a lot of Legion of Superheroes characters, and I feel like, you know, if I had a little bit more room, I would just do a Legion of Superheroes book. Um, but I feel like that's a tough concept for most people to get into. Um, you know, this book could easily lead into a Jeff Lemire Legion of Superheroes ongoing book. Um, where you can bring in some of these characters, like, uh, Terry McGinnis and Rip Hunter. Um, yeah, Saturn Girl's there. Next is Kamandi. Kamandi's an interesting character. He's from an alternate post-apocalyptic future, where mankind has all but died. Um, the world is, like, controlled by animal people. And the only pure human left is Kamandi. It's kind of like Adventure Time until you figure out what Adventure Time actually is about. Um... But yeah, Kamandi is just, like, you know, this expert tracker. He's in peak physical condition. Um, he's, he's kind of a kid. He's, like, in his, like, teens. Um, but he's kind of like a post-apocalyptic Tarzan, which is pretty neat. Um, and then uh, Nightstar. And Nightstar is... She's from a alternate future called Kingdom Come. And in that book, um, she's the daughter of Dick Grayson, Nightwing, um, and Starfire. So... She has, you know, all of the, I guess, acrobatic skills of Nightwing and all the pow actual powers of Starfire. Um, but she's a neat design. She's a cool, like, concept, because, you know, if you're a fan of Nightwing or Starfire, you're probably a fan of their relationship. So just having a character who's always there to remind you, hey, this romance happens in another future. Isn't that cool? Um, so she can be on the team. And she's also, like probably the powerhouse of the team, but she's also a teenager, so a lot of these characters are in their, like, teens or late teens, so I think Rip Hunter's in for quite a time trying to work with all these kids, basically. Um, I guess in a weird way, it's a cool, like, time, time-related, um, mirror to what my actual Justice League book is, but, um, yeah, just a time travel book. Every issue, it's a different event that they go back to. Like, it'd be fun to see these five go back during, like, Blackest Night, when there's, like, Black Lantern zombies everywhere. And, uh, you know, Saturn Girl's trying to read their minds, but all she's hearing are the rings. I don't know. That'd be cool. But yeah, that's uh, Rip Hunter and the Linear League by, uh, by Jeff Lemire. Let's see, next book. So, I mentioned this guy earlier, but, uh... <laughs> John Cena is going to be playing the Peacemaker in uh, the Suicide Squad movie, and he's going to get his own show. Um, I think that makes it pretty safe that we're probably going to get a Peacemaker book at some point, which I really, I would want that very much. Um, so yeah, Peacemaker by, uh, so I'm having it written by Keith Giffen. Uh, Keith Giffen's an amazing writer. He wrote Just League International from its conception to its end. Um... He also, I think he, yeah, he created Lobo, and he wrote Lobo's book for a very long time. I think also from beginning to end. So, 
he's a guy that can do comedy, he can do action, he can he can mix those together really well. So yeah, I think I think Keith Giffen would be a, a good fit for a character like Peacemaker. Peacemaker's whole deal, and you'll learn this more when the movie comes out. Um, he's essentially a gun-toting mercenary, not unlike Deathstroke or uh, Taskmaster or any other mercenary-esque character. Um, but he usually works with the U.S. government, and his deal is that he's he's insane for one thing. Um, he, he hears voices in his helmet, um, particularly the voice of his father, <laughs> and uh, Peacemaker. He he's obsessed with peace, and he thinks that he can gain peace and like end war. Like he wants America to be protected. Um, and he'll do that by killing people. Like, he'll, he wants peace, and he's willing to kill for it, basically. He's kind of like, uh, Captain America and the Punisher kind of mixed together with a little bit of crazy in there. Um, yeah, he's just, he's just this, this wacky kind of character. I mean, he's not even wacky, it's more like, he's dangerously insane, and that's what makes him, like, interesting to read about. Um... For his story, I'm kind of thinking, again, it's a miniseries, um, so I, I think you'd go sort of the comedy action route with it. Um, you know, give him a new handler, um, maybe it is Amanda Waller, or maybe it's just someone that works with her, um, but basically he is a one-man army. Um, sorry. He, he's like a one-man army that, uh, is set into countries and, and, and territories. Like, he's he's a, he's a hitman for the government, you know. Uh, for, I think... I think the comedian from Watchmen was based on um, Peacemaker. That gives you some idea of what his character is about. Um, I just like the idea of... You know, there's some shady weapons dealings going on in another country. Maybe, like, South America or something. And, uh... You know, there's all these super-powered weapons that are, are being marketed there. And so, the government sends Peacemaker in there to investigate. Peacemaker and, like, a team of, like, soldiers that can try to, like, handle him and rein him in sometimes. But the weapons that are being dealt around in South America... Maybe it's, like, um, a Cuba or something, too. I don't know. Like, like... You know, one of those one of those countries where it's like the cartel has some some uh, some involvement and stuff, but like the weapons in particular aren't like super high tech weapons. They're more like magical weapons, like you know, magical bows and magical swords, enchanted axes, that kind of stuff. Like the kind of thing that you could get, the kind of thing you'd find in like war war. Uh, war oh my god, what's that game? World of Warcraft. Then like in a shooter game. You know, Peacemaker's investigating and stuff. And basically, what the book is actually about is, like, Peacemaker, like, going up against Ares, the god of war. <laughs> um, Ares is, of course, a Greek character. He's also a Wonder Woman villain. Um, and as you might have guessed, he's... Because he is the god of war, um, He in this plot, he is giving out enchanted weapons that he has had crafted for him. Uh, and he's giving them out to, like, the cartel or whatever. And, like, basically, there's, there's an episode of Just League Unlimited where Ares is putting, uh, like, weapons in the hands of, uh, 
both sides of a war in like the southern part of the world. Um, and Wonder Woman has to team up with like Hawk and Dove to stop him. Basically, I'm taking that episode, expanding it, and putting Peacemaker in it. Because uh, I think that would just be a hilarious... Like, you can even put... Like, you can even involve Wonder Woman. You can even put in Hawk and Dove um, as characters who are trying to stop the cartel and get to the, the bottom of where these weapons are coming from. And in the middle of it all, you have Peacemaker, who's like, I'm going to kill Ares. Like, if it means... Like, if I can gain peace and, and give America some sense of safety, then I will kill a god. I will find a way to do it. Um, and, you know, the series wouldn't necessarily end with him actually doing that. I think it would probably end with Wonder Woman, like, sealing Ares away or something. But just the, like, the cover image of Peacemaker's shiny chrome head saying, I'm going to kill a god today, like, that would sell. And, it, again, it, it would sell mostly from a comedic uh, angle. But, again, I like involving other characters who have serious stake in this who, you know are self-aware enough to know, okay, Ares is trying to get us to fight him, we, he, we're playing the game by his rules, and he knows it, and then Peacemaker is like, that's fine, I'll just play harder than he does, and everyone's like, Peacemaker, no, don't fight him, and he's like, all I can do is fight him, I don't know what to tell you, this for peace, I, I need to do this, um, you also get the idea of, like, when Ares and Peacemaker ultimately have, like, a, a showdown, Peacemaker is just loading himself with those enchanted weapons, thinking, oh, I'll just use this god sword to kill this god. And Ares is like, I enchanted those myself. I can take that away from you. Um, yeah, giving Peacemaker this uphill battle, I think it's I think it's like ultimately a, a story that you could tell of Peacemaker, because he's a guy who's like, I will kill for peace. And Ares is a character who dies if there's peace. So I think that's kind of a fun um, dynamic they could have. I also like the idea of having a B story like in the background of a story about the question. Because the thing with uh, with Peacemaker and the question, they're both characters that were originally owned by Charlton, Charlton Comics. Um, so I just like the idea of involving those. Because it's, it's, it's question, it's Peacemaker, um, Captain Adam, uh, Blue Beetle... And a couple other ones. I think Nightshade might count, too. But there's a couple of characters in DC Comics that are prominent, like, Char Charlton Comics characters. Um, and so anytime you use one, it feels necessary to use the other ones for one reason or another. Like, like America could send Captain Adam to, like, Brazil, Cuba, Colombia, whatever. Like, he could send... They could send Captain Adam there to, you know stop all the fighting and be like, we came to an agreement with, you know, the governments down here, they're willing to, you know, negotiate some sort of treaty, and then you have both Ares and Peacemaker being like, get out of here, Captain Adam, we don't need a treaty, we're gonna solve this problem with our fists. <laughs> um, just, you know, fun stuff like that, and, oh, and, like, the main idea behind it was, like, the question, who would have a, a, a B story in this book, um, where he's, like, breaking into government labs and stuff, and he's investigating Peacemaker and trying to figure out, like, if Peacemaker is actually crazy or if the government just has, like, a chip in his brain. So, you know, use this book to springboard Peacemaker a little bit. I think it's a good way to use other characters like Question and um, Captain Adam. And I also just like the idea of, like, you know, 
Superman villains have fought other DC characters. Batman villains have shown up in other DC characters' books. But you really, you don't often see Wonder Woman and her villains showing up in other people's books. Um, so I think this would be a good opportunity to do that. While also having Wonder Woman, who is just, like, this moral obelisk of a person. Like, she is a really good character. Um, and she's, you know, got her head on straight. And she has to work with this absolute, like, psychopath. <laughs> um, I think that could be a really fun dynamic. But, uh, yeah, it's Peacemaker. Any any excuse to do more Peacemaker stuff. Um, yeah, that's Peacemaker. Uh, next one's pretty basic. I wanted to have a Catwoman book um, among all these comic book picture, uh, picture, uh, pitches. Because, uh, you know, Catwoman is a very prominent Batman character. Um... A few times she has sort of struck out on her own and, and done her own thing, so I wanted to give her a mini-series. I think Tim Seeley could do something interesting with Catwoman. Uh, he wrote what is possibly, like, my favorite Nightwing stories uh, when DC Rebirth started. Um, I think Tim Seeley has a really good idea of sort of, like, sexy action, you know? Because he's working with a character like Nightwing who gets by a lot on his physique and, and what physical things he can do. I mean, like, acrobatics and stuff and um, flexibility and everything. But also, like, you know, he... Like, there's points in the Nightwing book that Tim Seeley wrote where Nightwing is, like, openly flirting with his romantic partner. And, it like, it feels genuine and also feels, like, real. It feels like a healthy adult sort of sexual relationship. And... Catwoman is a very, like, sensual, like, womanly character, um, and I feel like having a, having sort of like a, what's the word, like, espionage, like, like, when I think of a good Catwoman story, I think of, like, on the streets, neon lights, like, you know, these gala parties, uh, you know, the club scene, like, Catwoman as a character is, like, very confident in her herself, her image, and sort of her whole aesthetic. You know, she is a mature woman, and it and it's like, you know, she's a thief, she's been a superhero, she's been a supervillain. Um, I think as a character, Tim Seeley can do a lot to sort of boost what already makes Catwoman entertaining to read about. So the idea for this book is that it's sort of like... Catwoman traveling the Earth in sort of like a, a search kind of... It's, it's like, okay. So the idea I had was I wanted a Catwoman book that had some story involved with, like, fashion. Like, high fashion. Um, and sort of interweaving organized crime into high fashion because that's the last place you would think... like. In the real world, that's ridiculous. But in the DC universe, it's like, you know, criminals have tried robbing banks. They've tried having these big corporations. They've tried, you know, ridiculous machines to take over the world. Um, but I kind of like the idea that organized crime is like, well, what about the fashion industry? It's not like any superhero is going to bother looking into the fashion industry to, to find organized crime. So that's basically what the Catwoman book is. Catwoman... You know, a lot of Batman's villains have left Gotham. Batman and or Batman and Catwoman 
are still married uh, in this version of events, and she has to sort of leave Gotham to investigate this crime, uh, this like crime industry, like a crime syndicate inside of like this high fashion world, like the the industry. Um, and her sort of cover story is that you know she is Selena Kyle, wife of Bruce Wayne, who has begun uh, a modeling career. And you know. There could be stories that... I'm thinking mostly across Europe. Like, you know, book starts maybe in, like, Italy, goes to London, um, ends up in, like, Rome or something. Um, that could be a cool context. You don't see Batman characters in Europe that often, uh, at least nowadays. Last time was, like, Batman Europa, which was a pretty good Jim Lee book from a while back. Um, but, like, this idea actually started as a book about Vixen. And Vixen's a, a African-American female superhero who has this magic uh, necklace, and she could use it to tap into the powers of any animal. Um, she's a super underrated character, so I thought maybe Vixen could be sort of a supporting character in this book, because Vixen's backstory is that she's also, like her, when she's not being a superhero, she's being like a fashion designer kind of character, um, being a model and stuff. So, I think it'd be a, a cool idea if, in order to get into the fashion industry, uh, you know, Batman and Catwoman, they set up a call with Vixen, and now Selina Kyle is a model working under Vixen. And, like, this would be a good opportunity to have Vixen, like, just show off what she can do. Like, when I say she can copy the powers of animals, I mean, like, if she lost a limb, she could tap into the powers of a starfish and grow a new limb. Or... If someone's about to grab her, she can tap into the powers of a poison dart frog. And now when you touch her, and you touch her sweat, you are poisoned and paralyzed. You know, she can see at night, she can stick to walls, she's got the strength of a gorilla, the speed of a cheetah. Like, she's a super-powered character. Like, in this book, I imagine she would be the Superman to Catwoman's Batman. And the idea is that the two of them are investigating, you know, a crime circuit within, uh high fashion and the idea would be the actual like henchmen the goons that are strong arming like rich socialites that are investing their time and money into the fashion industry these goons aren't just regular goons they are super powered they have um like matching uniforms and like super strength like it's it's very classic batman adventures kind of stuff where catwoman and, and vixen have to work together to fight these goons and investigate what's going on behind the scenes, who's getting shaken down for money. And ultimately, I think around maybe issue four or five, you would learn um, all of this, you know, all these goons with powers are henchmen of the Crazy Quilt. And the Crazy Quilt is one of those funny, weird, obscure Batman villains. Uh, his deal is that he... <clears throat> his crimes are usually art-themed, or color-themed. Um, sorry. Um, like, color-themed and art-themed and stuff, and uh, <laughs> the idea is that when when he first showed up, um, Batman and Robin were foiling one of his plans, and as a result, Robin, f like, caused this machine to go off that ended up blinding uh, Crazy Quilt. I don't know if he's still blind in the modern continuity. Actually, he might just be colorblind. Yeah, I think he's just colorblind, from what I remember. 
it'd be a little more fucked up if he was completely blind. But I think he's just colorblind. Um, but yeah, so the idea is that Crazy Quilt is back after all these years. Um, and he's like, he knows he's not a top-tier villain. You know, maybe, you know, that came across to him when he talked to Equinox, um, the, the overarching villain for all my DC books. And it sort of occurred to him, yeah, I can't be a big-time villain, but what I, you know, I'm so obscure, I can be in the background and I can try to orchestrate things to make myself rich. So, he makes uh, costumes that enhance people's strength. And maybe it's like, uh, you know, there's like little pads sewn into, like, jackets that interact with your skin and, like, like put some sort of strength-enhancing drug like Venom, like the Venom that Bane uses, like, into their system. Um, so the idea is that they're getting their powers from their clothing, and that's not, like, an unusual thing. There's a lot of DC characters that get their powers from, like, what they're wearing. Uh, Booster Gold is the easiest example I can think of. So I think it's within reason that Crazy Quilt, you know, maybe with some assistance from, like, some, some science tech people, some, like, geniuses, could invent a clothing line that gives you powers. And the idea is that he's shaking down all these rich socialites who are involved in high fashion um, to eventually, like, kind of stem them out so that when Crazy Quilt comes out with his new line of clothing that'll give you powers, he won't have any competition, and his clothes will also sort of double as protection against, like, superhero mayhem. Um, this is a big plot, and over the course of the miniseries... Catwoman and Vixen would have to, you know, find him, defeat him, destroy all the, like, superpowered clothing. I think eventually there would probably come a point where, towards, like, the end of the book, like, issue 8 or something, um, Catwoman, with, like, the assistance of another Batman character, like Luke Fox or something, she gets a new costume that is basically a toned-down version of what Qua Crazy Quilt was building. So for, like, a couple issues, she has power, like, some strength, like, a strength enhancement. Um... <clears throat> but yeah, that's basically the book. Like, there's a Catwoman Vixen book that takes place across Europe where it's, like, fashion, it's, you know, intrigue, espionage, it's, you know, sort of crime noir investigation stuff, and it all comes back to this, like, classically weird Batman character who, to my knowledge, has never really been involved in the fashion side of, of art. Like, he's always done... Crazy, like, crazy, crazy quilts is, like, colors and quilts and art, but he's, he's never done fashion, which I think would be a cool kind of direction to push him in, considering he wears a crazy quilt. Um, but yeah, that's my Catwoman book. That's by Tim Seeley. Uh, we've got two more here. Uh, next is, is Shazam, because I want to keep that Shazam book in circulation. Uh, I know Jeff Johns is in a weird place with DC Comics, but he has been writing Shazam thus far, and I, I don't think it'd be smart to take him off just yet. Um, I definitely think maybe by the time the sequel comes out, there should be an actual Shazam book with maybe a different writer on it. Um, but as of right now, it seems like Jeff Johns is the, only per is the only person that like wants to write Shazam, and the only person who I think does Shazam really well in terms of writing. Um... I know currently his Shazam book is Billy Batson and his superpowered family exploring, like, this weird realm of magic, um, which is, like, all fine and good. My idea was I wanted to get Black Adam involved in some way, because I know Black Adam, he's getting a movie, he's going to be on the new Justice League book, so kind of wanted to do more with him. And my idea is pretty simple. Um, 
after adventuring throughout all these magical worlds and getting involved in the multiverse, Shazam and his, like, siblings, of which there's, like, six of them, and they're all superpowered. Like, the problem with Shazam for me is, like, I love Shazam, but when you introduce a whole family of people as strong as Shazam, I feel like it's too much, and I feel like you lose focus of what makes Shazam, like, a fun character. Like, he's a boy that turns into a superpowered man. I think that's enough, and I don't think you need to do a lot of the family stuff, but I understand that that's also a big portion of what that character's about. Um, so I think a Shazam book where it's like he and his family have just saved the multiverse and, and conquered all these realms of magic, and when they get back to Earth, uh, they're captured and like imprisoned by Black Adam in his country of Kondak. Um, which is another big thing that you're going to learn when you learn more about Black Adam. He has his own country. <laughs> um and maybe it's like Black Adam uses his powers to strip the kids of their powers. So it's like, because they all come from the same power source. I like the idea that Black Adam is like, okay, I have let you children run around with my power for long enough. Like, I'm the champion. I am, I am the Shazam person. And, like, you existing, I know it's going to be a problem for me down the line. So this is where, you know, I'm stemming it out. I'm going to keep you here in Kondak until I can figure out how to cut you off from the, the powers of Shazam. And so the whole book, the whole book isn't really, like, a superhero book. It's kind of a Shazam book about, it's kind of like a young adult book, I guess. I don't know, like, the idea is that these seven children, who are all, like, adopted siblings, have to escape from Kondak, or try to get out some sort of signal so that someone can come save them. Like an SOS so Superman can come rescue them or something. Um, and I think you get, like, two perspectives. You get, like, the Billy Batson perspective, where he's like, I, I'm the guy. Like, before Black Adam came back, before I had all these siblings, I was Shazam. I've been a member of the Justice League, and I'm only, like, like 14 years old. I need to step up, and I need to lead my siblings out of here, because, you know, I gave them their powers. All of this is kind of my fault. It's my responsibility and really, in hindsight, I should have faced Black Adam about this way before I got my family involved. Um, which I think is a good story to sort of mature Billy Batson and show a different side of him. A side of him that is, you know, feeling responsible and feeling kind of a leadership role. Like, I really love Billy Batson as a character, even without the Shazam stuff. So, I feel like this would be a good opportunity to show off what what Billy Batson is like when he can't become Shazam. Um... And then, you know, the other kids, Mary Marvel, um, which is Billy's adopted sister, she's kind of the the next most, like, the next most relevant character in that group. Um, so you can do some cool stuff with her. I don't know. I like the I like the Shazam kids a lot. They're, they're still fun characters. Uh, don't get me wrong. But you get one perspective, which is Billy's, and then you get the other perspective, which is Black Adam. And he's got a, I know he has a wife. I don't know if he has kids. But he has this whole country, and he has been a member of the Justice League as well. And from his perspective, it's like, okay, I have to figure out how to use magic to sever the connection of Shazam from these kids. Like, I need to make these kids just humans again, because, you know, it's like him taking responsibility for the powers of Shazam. He's like, a child should have never had these powers. It's irresponsible, and it's irresponsible of me, Black Adam to allow this to continue. Like, 
since being a member of the Justice League, Black Adam thinks like it's in his character to be more heroic and do the right thing, even if the right thing isn't really isn't really the right thing. It's like in his mind, you know, I'll I'll take the powers away from from Billy Batson. That's the responsible thing to do. When it's like, well, Billy was doing pretty well with those powers. You didn't really need to take them away from him. Um, maybe it's like a, a force field situation where it's like in Kondak, the kids can't use the power of Shazam. So Black Eye was trying to find a way to expand that barrier so that nowhere on Earth can they access the powers of Shazam. Um, I also like the idea of bringing... I don't know if they've used him in the new book. There's a <laughs> there's a talking tiger who is a Shazam character. He was like the familiar pet of the original wizard that gave Shazam his powers. Um, his name's Tawny Tiger. And yeah, he's just a, he's, he's a literal tiger that can talk. I think... It, he can also turn into a tiger man. He's just a fun, weird character. I hope he's in the sequel movie, because I, I love Tawny the Tiger. Um, there's a talky tiger. I think it's Tawny. Um, but, you know, he could be the original one who goes after the kids to try and save them. And, you know, he's stopped by Black Adam's familiar, which is like um, Sebek, which is like a, a, a crocodile man. Pretty great. Pretty great stuff. Shazam is a fun, weird corner of the DC universe, and uh, I think Jeff Johns could do a really good job expanding on Billy Batson's character and show that he is growing, while also showing a different side to Black Adam that is like, I don't like imprisoning these children, like, before I was Black Adam, I was a slave, like, I get it, so, you know, when Billy and his, and his siblings say to me, like, oh, it's you must be like a real big man locking us up. Like, I don't feel good about it, but I'm going to do it because this is my power and I should have taken it back from him a long time ago. So it's like both Billy and Black Adam are sort of in the right, but neither, like one conversation could fix the whole problem, but neither of them is going to have that conversation. Um, I just think that'd be a really entertaining book. And I think it would ground Shazam a little bit. I think it would make Shazam a hard character for people to get into is the talking tigers and the seven deadly sins coming out of, like, the demon well or whatever, and the Rock of Eternity and the Wizard Shazam. Like, there's just a lot going on, and I feel like simplifying it this way and making it more about, like, kids that need to escape and a bad guy who needs to realize what he's doing is bad, I feel like that makes it a bit more grounded and easier to understand. Um, yeah, so that that's my Shazam pitch. Um, okay, last miniseries, and then we're, we're done with this DC republishing pitch. Um, it's called Cyborg Online. So, like I said at the beginning of this, I did not watch the Snyder Cut, but what a lot of people have told me is that one of the better scenes is a scene where Cyborg puts his mind into the internet and, like, helps people that way. Um, I'm really into that idea, because I feel like Cyborg, they usually do the same thing with him every time, where it's like, oh, he doesn't like being a cyborg, and he's sad about it, and he doesn't have a body, and oh, isn't that sad, isn't that dramatic, um, and that's it, that's the whole character. So, I, I think, uh, I think that's a cool direction to take the character. So Cyborg Online, which will be written by Mark Wade. Um, I love Mark Wade. He's one of my favorite writers. He wrote Kingdom Come. He wrote The Champions when that started out. He was writing The Avengers for a little while. Um, he's written for a lot of characters. Captain America, uh, Doctor Strange. I'm sure he's done some Batman. Uh, he's great. 
I like Mark Wade a lot. And he, what I like about Mark Wade is that, despite being a man in his older years, uh, he still knows how to write for the youth of the country. And I mean that, like, in sort of an eternal way. Like, in the 90s, he could write from the perspective of a teenager in the 90s. And, you know, in, like, 2017, when he did, like, Champions and stuff, he could write from the perspective of a teenager in 2017. Like, he's a really good understanding about how young characters think and act. And Cyborg is right in that area where he is, you know, young enough to have, you know, a youthful perspective on things and be part of the youth culture, but old enough that he's a man and he's maturing and he needs to come into his own. That's always the problem for Cyborg since the New 52, because he started as a member of the Justice League in this new continuity, he's always playing catch-up. He's always, like, the seventh wheel left to guard the base. Like, he is among, like, these major league DC characters, and he has to play catch-up a lot of the time. And, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about the idea of Cyborg being the seventh member of the Justice League. Um out of nowhere. I'm not going to get into it because I've talked about it a million times throughout that happening. Um, but I think Mark Wade could do a killer cyborg book. I also like the idea of a, a cyborg book because I, I have a couple of books that are led by like African-American characters, but I like the idea of a cyborg book that stars an African-American character but really isn't about that. Like him being black isn't like the focus of the book, even though I'm sure it would come up in the book. Um, so if the title isn't obvious enough, it's Cyborg dealing with, you know, the digital age. Basically, like, putting his consciousness online and, and trying to investigate problems there. It's kind of like cyber crimes. Like, when I, when I think of Cyborg fighting crime on, like, an internet scale, I think it's more like, okay, there's, like, a new terrorist group in this city. I don't know where we put Cyborg. Um, <sighs> can't put him in Blood... I mean, you could put him in Bloodhaven where Nightwing is, but that's kind of... Kind of, you know, Nightwing's thing. Um, I don't know. I guess you... you I would put him somewhere in, like, a, a technologically advanced city, basically. Um, I can't name one off the top of my head. But, you know, you, you station him there, and he works for, like, uh, like the local police department who are dealing with cyber crimes. Maybe you put him in Metropolis. That'd be fine, too. Um, but, yeah, the idea is, like, you have an issue where it's, like, okay... <laughs> we have rumors that uh, there's going to be a bombing at, like, this public event, but we don't know enough about it. Our guys are trying to research it. We're not making a lot of progress. So Cyborg is like, okay, I'll go in. And so Cyborg puts his mind on the internet. And, like, I, I like the idea of visually, like, presenting the dark web of the internet, like, you know, the dark sector of the internet as, like, kind of a scummy underbelly, like a virtual Gotham, basically. And it's like, in the virtual world, that's how it's presented, because Cyborg, beyond being a machine, is a human. And so his mind perceives the dark web as like a corrupt, nitty-gritty city. Like a Sin City kind of setting. You can even do fun stuff where the art is different in the internet than it is on the like outside of the internet. So... He goes there, he's investigating, you know, hey, I heard someone's making a bomb, I want to find out more about that. He follows one thread to another, and eventually it, like, leads him to the suspect and, like, who, who it is and where it's happening, so that when they go there to set up the bomb at, like, this football game or something, uh, 
the guy shows up with the explosive and boom, Cyborg and like the, the cops are there. And I kind of like the idea of like Cyborg working with like the Metropolis Police Department because it kind of squashes, like I'm sure it'd be referenced again, but it kind of quashes the like police, black stuff, like black people stuff that's been happening. Like again, I don't want to take a stance on that. I've talked about that when I talked about the Punisher recently, but I think it'd be nice to have a piece of fiction where an African-American superhero and a police department can work together on something. Um, especially on something as sort of universally troubling as, like, digital crime and, and digital terrorism. Um, and so the whole book would be kind of more of that. I like the idea of the more Cyborg does this and investigates crimes on the internet and, you know, again, you can do so much with, like, you know, okay, I have to find the specific video on this, like, streaming platform. Let me go inside. Oh, look, the streaming platform is represented as a galaxy, and every <laughs> every video or every channel is represented as, like, a planet, and so Cyborg has to fly towards those planets. Um, or, like, you know, I have to rewatch this recording because there's some secret information in there. Okay, it's streaming on this network. I'll go inside the internet, and it's like, he's in the video, he's, like, sitting in the stands, watching something happen, and, like, researching himself by walking around and looking at things, like, you could do a lot of fun stuff art-wise with a book where, that is about a character that can travel the internet, because that's, you know, uncharted territory in, in terms of DC stuff, you don't see characters literally going inside the internet, I think that's a really cool idea, um, and of course, again, you play with other stuff, like, you know, to tie in some Teen Titans villains in there, there's a Teen Titans villain named Brother Blood. He's been in the cartoon. He's usually a cult leader. I like the idea of reworking Brother Blood as, like, a cult of personality figure. Like, he's on the internet, and he has sort of, like... Maybe maybe Brother Blood has, like, a podcast or something, right? And he has a legion of people that are behind him because they're saying the things that... that or he's saying the things that they're feeling. It's kind of, again, a cult of personality thing. Where it's, like... Or any any YouTuber that gets cancelled. That's what Brother Blood is. You know, he has a fan base that refuse to believe the lies, and they'd rather believe Brother Blood. And, you know, he's kind of like the overarching villain of the book. And so Cyborg's whole thing is that, you know, on the internet, Brother Blood... Because, again, Brother Blood, you can do whatever. Sometimes he's a vampire, for fuck's sake. Maybe he finds his own way to put his consciousness on the internet. Or maybe his spread of hate, like him having all these fans that are toxic, maybe that's presented as like cyber demons inside the internet that Cyborg has to fight. Again, just if you're creative enough and the artwork is, is stunning enough, this is a Cyborg book that would easily sell. The concept of turning internet drama and internet like, uh, like chaos into a physical thing that Cyborg can punch. That would be really cool. Um, and again, Brother Blood is a character who, his whole thing is corrupting people to follow his his way of thinking. That's a very modern villain to work with if you use it in the right way. Um, you could put test, uh, Deathstroke in this book somehow. Maybe Brother Blood hires uh, Deathstroke to kill Cyborg, and so you, you have a thing where it's like, okay, on the outside world, Cyborg has to like, find a safe place to go into the internet, 
Um, and maybe it's a little bit addicting for Cyborg, so he has to, like, take breaks now and again before he loses himself completely in the, in the internet. Like, he gets lost in there, and he, he can't find his body. And, like, Cyborg's, like, outside friends, like his dad, and I think he's got, like, co-workers and stuff. Um, like, you can even put in some other DC characters in there to, to have it be kind of fun. Like, again, you can put Nightwing in there. You could put um, Barry Allen in there, because, you know, they work together a little bit. Um, but you can have characters like that defending Cyborg from Deathstroke while Deathstroke's trying to kill Cyborg, while Cyborg's in the internet. Like, that, again, raises some tension. It makes it so all the action isn't just in the digital world, it's also in the outside world, because Cyborg is risking his own life going into the internet by leaving his body, like, unprotected. So, yeah, there's a lot to do with Cyborg, and I think taking it in this direction is way better than sort of rehashing the same, oh, am I a man or or am I a machine? Like... In this story, I think that question would come up, but it would be less direct. It would be more metaphorical in that sense. It's like, I am a man, but if I get too deep into being a machine, I don't know if I'll come back from it. Um, and again, because it's the book about the internet, you can have a story or, or a story beat where it's like, oh man, Cyborg found the really racist part of the internet. This is really tough for him to be in, but he has to he has to investigate here. This is a a real trouble for him. You know, you can have other stuff where he's exploring the internet and he runs into other characters that are maybe capable of that. Like, uh, there's a Superman villain named Livewire who has electricity powers. Maybe she, you know, also has, like, a podcast or something. Because her thing is that she was, like, a radio host that was turned into an electrical supervillain. Um, so maybe Cyborg has to align himself with Livewire in order to find Brother Blood. Because it's like, oh... Brother, brother, that guy's an asshole. Like, I know I may have been a villain for a while, but I'm trying to turn myself around and, like, you know, I'm trying to go straight, you know, not be a villain, while also having a presence on the internet. Like, I like that direction for Livewire, and sort of making her a supporting character in this book who helps Cyborg, but is also a character that maybe we can't completely trust. That would be an interesting direction for that character, too. Um, but yeah, that's Cyborg Online. Okay, so that's... That's it, man. <laughs> um, the, it seems like a lot, because obviously I've done like four parts of this, but like I do want to say this has been really fun to talk about, because I love comic books, and I love DC Comics especially, and you know, it's a, good, it's a fun thought experiment to think of what can be done with characters who have either been directionless or have sort of done the same thing over and over. Um, so I thought before I kind of end things off, I'd go through the books just by title, just to give you a whole scale idea. Especially if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the other parts, I would totally suggest that. Um, so yeah, for first of all, we have the 15 ongoing books. Uh, Superman by Jen Luen Yang. Action Comics by Brian Michael Bendis. Batman by Matt Fraction. Detective Comics by Peter J. Tomasi. Wonder Woman by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Sensational Comics by Paul Dini. The Flash by James Tynan IV, Green Lantern by Scott Snyder, Aquaman by Tom King, Nightwing by Joshua Williamson, Harley and Ivy by Mark Russell, Justice League by Tom Taylor, Justice League Dark by Darren Warren Johnson, Teen Titans by G. Willow Wilson, and Suicide Squad by Colin Bunn. And then we have the 10 limited series, about 12 issues each. <clears throat> 
uh, Green Arrow and the Seven Soldiers of Victory by David F. Walker, Booster Gold by Dan Jurgens, Lois Lane Confidential by Jimmy Palmiotti, The Outsiders by John Ridley, Firestorm by Grant Morrison, Rip Hunter and the Linear League by Jeff Lemire, Peacemaker by Keith Griffin, or sorry, Keith Giffen, uh, Catwoman by Tim Seeley, Shazam by Jeff Johns, and Cyborg Online by Mark Wade. So there it is. I might do a part five way later when I talk about some Black Label books that I think would be cool. Some, you know, Swamp Thing, John Constantine. There's a lot of characters that I really didn't get to use for this, but I'm pretty happy with it. You know, I think it's, you know, this has been a fun idea. And, you know, if I do come back to this, it won't be for a while. Maybe it'll be like, okay, what if, what if all these stories got extensions? What if I did, you know, new miniseries that spun out of old ones? Um, but I won't do it for a while. And next time I do talk about comic book relaunching, um, I'll talk about some Marvel comics, because I know that's, you know, another side of the bridge that I'm sure people want to hear about. But yeah, DC Comics Equal Force, that is my pitch for a DC publishing relaunch to sort of just shake things up while also putting characters on new and interesting directions. So as always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, I hope you all have a terrific day, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Goodbye.